Welcome to the We Are Next podcast, advice and insight from all over the advertising industry to help you navigate your career with confidence. I'm Natalie Kim. And I'm Heidi Singleton, Chief Creative Officer at New Honor Society. And thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. It's Natalie, and welcome to episode 33. I'm recording this intro from my Airbnb in Boulder, Colorado where I am for the next few days speaking with CU Boulder students and recording a few podcast episodes. I'm feeling really, really good after a couple weeks of swirling around in my own head. And I think I'm learning that the more I can focus on what's happening right now and the good things that We Are Next is creating for its audience versus fearing or worrying about something that hasn't even happened yet or the worst case scenario in the future, the better I feel. It seems kind of obvious, but I think it's sort of hard to remind ourselves that when we're sort of in the thick of things. Our guest this week is Heidi Singleton, Chief Creative Officer at New Honor Society, a female-led creative boutique in St. Louis. You may have seen her recently in the trades for the amazing Not Sorry campaign that she helped launch in support of International Women's Day. As a CCO, she was so passionate about the work and good things that New Honor Society is putting out into the world She was totally down to earth and full of useful advice for young talent. So let's get to it. Enjoy. Heidi, thanks so much for having me today. We're here at New Honor Society. It's such an amazing space. I can't get over it. (laughs) It's got such character. I'm going to try to like take some pictures. I'm so bad at like actually capturing where I am. And so I'll take some pictures so that people can see what it what it actually looks like but definitely it's so wonderful to be here um, and you're my last interview for my trip I really wanted to come into a few agencies and, and see what the scene is like here and, and what kind of work you guys are doing and, and what new honor society is all about so why don't we start by talking about how you got your start in the industry sure go back to the very beginning <laughs> can you talk about you know how you found advertising and how you made your way through your first few roles. Sure. So I always knew that I wanted to be a writer. And back in high school, I thought the only way you could actually make money being a writer was to be a reporter working for a newspaper. So I went into journalism school when I graduated high school. And um, I pursued a newspaper career. And my first job at the college paper, actually my first day at the college paper, I realized it was not for me. I think when you're younger, you know what you like to do, but you don't necessarily know what moves you. And for me, what was missing was creativity. And um, luckily for me, at Mizzou and the J School, they also had an advertising emphasis, so I started to take some classes there, and it was just everything clicked, everything made sense, and I never never looked back. Um, When I graduated, I got a job here in St. Louis at an agency called Zipatoni. It's a creative boutique, uh, and at the time, digital was just becoming a thing. Mm-hmm. So I worked on a lot of branded websites and branded um, digital experiences, and I also was lucky enough to work in uh, another department at the agency that uh, launched new products and created new brands. So mm-hmm. I, I um, as a writer, I got to do a lot of naming, a lot of packaging copy, brand positioning. So I was able to, from the very beginning, understand the importance of brand mm-hmm. and uh, and brand storytelling and how that then makes its way into marketing. When you started, how did you land, I guess, your first roles? If you think back, like in terms of the very nitty gritty, like 
outreaching and like getting your materials together? Like what were you working with when you were first starting out? When I was first starting out, uh, I was in grad school. I spent a year in grad school and there was a degree program called educational technology, (laughs) which at the time was very new. And it basically came down to learning a lot about programs like 3D animation and uh, video editing and all of these sort of new things at the time 20 years ago and what that did is it allowed me to put a portfolio together that wasn't just the traditional you know print ads and I was able to create you know websites and you know short films and and I and I put that all together on uh, on a digital portfolio and that at the time really stood out because everybody else was sort of doing the traditional, you know, book, like physical book book that they walked in with. So that, that stood out. And I knew, um, I'm from St. Louis, so Mm -hmm. I knew I wanted to start here. It felt safer to me to kind of get my start here. And so, uh, there were only a handful of agencies that felt like my kind of place. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Zipatoni was definitely one of them because it had a very relaxed, very casual atmosphere. Um, I felt like I could be myself just based on the time that I had spent um, doing my research. And so I got an internship uh, at Zipatoni while I was still in grad school, and that allowed me to make the connections that I needed to in order to be hired full-time once they had an opening available. Got it. That's really good. I think that's a really good takeaway, like trying to think about the things that I mean, because everyone might have in their portfolio from school classes or the internships, like, you know, a print ad or like TV or like your your typical touch points for like a 360 campaign. But like what we create in advertising today is so different and varied. I mean, you're talking about when you were just starting out and today, I mean, it's just like the things that we create just don't aren't what you typically think of. And so I think the more that students and people just starting out can think outside of that that box of what you know advertising, they perceive advertising yeah. to be. Um, I mean, I could see why that would separate your portfolio from, from the rest. Well, and I think co- uh, colleges do a disservice to students because they, uh, a lot of the assignments that, that happen are around, oh, pick a brand, any brand, yeah. what, you know, anything that you like, any category, yeah. and make an ad, make something fun out of it. Right, right. And what the reality is, you're going to be working on products and categories that you know nothing about, that maybe don't seem very exciting. Yeah. Um, but you can still do amazing things with those brands, right. and and you know, genuinely helping consumers with those brands. Yeah. And um, if you can, even if it's proactively, show that you're able to think inside of categories that aren't um, close to your own kind of heart and your yeah. own your own experiences, right. that really goes a long way. Yeah, that's what they're that's what they're looking for. They're looking for someone who can like stretch into all these different verticals and, and right. solve all these different problems. I think that's a really good point. So tell us a little bit about New Honor Society. I know there's like a whole evolution of how it came to be, um, and what it's really trying to do for its clients. Sure. So um, first, I will say, ten to twelve years of my career. I did a lot of work in integrated marketing. Think of that as everything but a TV spot. Mm -hmm. So a lot of retail promotion, um, digital experiences, as I talked about, everything that um, helps incentivize somebody to purchase one brand over another. So what's that carrot you can dangle out in front of somebody that makes them want one thing over another? And a lot of our clients really were focused on that short-term sales lift and how do we get that ROI? And for a really long time, 
you know, you would do something at shelf at retail and you would get that short term sales spike. Mm -hmm. It worked. But then a couple of things started to shift. One was um, the prevalence of private label. Uh, you know, a long time ago, private label meant a white package with black type on it. And you knew immediately like, oh, that's the cheap brand. I don't right. want that. Well, now you can barely tell the difference. And especially when retailers like Target are brands in and of themselves right. that are highly sought after, private label now takes on a whole new meaning and it becomes much more competitive. So it wasn't enough to just focus on a product's feature or benefit or mm -hmm. dangle something out in front of somebody to get them to buy. You've got private label there as, as another option. And then the other thing that was happening, of course, was social media and the ubiquity of that and how people started interacting with brands in new ways. And they had different expectations for brands. They, uh, they wanted to have conversations with brands. They wanted brands to behave more like humans. And people started looking into the companies behind the brands to see if the marketing messages were true to who that brand is from an organizational standpoint. So with those two shifts, we started to kind of evolve how we were looking at marketing. Mm -hmm. And we started to create uh, not just integrated campaigns, but really think about what could that brand give to an audience through their marketing mm -hmm. that actually added value and and kept people kind of buying into the brand long after, you know, the campaign was over. And so that was working really well and was so much more meaningful for us. So we decided to just go all in on that mm -hmm. approach. And that's how New Honor Society was born. So our philosophy is... Um, we call it less sell, more soul. How do you help a brand uh, stand for something bigger mm -hmm. than its features and benefits, something that people can follow and be a part of and um, have add much more meaning through the marketing that you do and actually give people something that, that they care about? I can imagine that people who work here at New Honor Society feel like they are doing something meaningful in the work that they do for your clients where I think that idea of meaning and like what am I contributing to the world when I work in advertising which is fun and fast-paced and super interesting and obviously like attracts a lot of talent but I think that's always a question in people's mind like is is working in advertising meaningful or how can it be meaningful? Mm. Maybe not everyone, I can't speak for everyone, sure. I'm projecting like my own. <laughs> but but I imagine if you have this like ethos that um, you might not ask that many, that question as yeah. much. Brands ha have such a huge opportunity to, to influence people and mm -hmm. to shift culture and when you think of your role as a marketer, not just as how do I sell more product, mm -hmm. but how do I help change um, perceptions or um, impact culture in really meaningful ways, you can do that anywhere. It doesn't have to be a certain kind of an agency. It just has to be a mindset that you have. Mm -hmm. and, um, and of course, it helps to have clients with, with that shared mindset. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, like, I feel like your what you guys are trying to do would automatically almost like self-select certain clients to like attract to you, and other ones right. it'd be very clear like that's probably not going to work because maybe they are too focused on just the short-term ROI. There are definite clients that we've had in the past that we would not um, we would not work with again for that very reason. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a nice like sorting hat like does, yeah. <laughs> situation. <laughs> so as a chief creative officer here. What 
do you look for in junior creatives? What is that thing in their you know, portfolio or in the interview that, that tells you, like, this is the person that we want to join our team? Sure. It's really not in the portfolio. Of course, the portfolio is the first, you know, quick... Are, is their skill, is their talent here? Okay. Mm-hmm. But so much more than that, we look for critical thinkers. We look for young people who question everything mm-hmm. and um, don't just sort of answer the assignment the way it's always been answered, but they really think about how can how can we do things differently? Is, this, is there something deeper here? Is, again, back to that. Is there something more meaningful that mm-hmm. I can be doing through this assignment? Um, so it's really a mindset. We, we want people who see their role not as a designer or a writer, but as a problem solver. Mm-hmm. How do I really make a difference with what I'm doing mm-hmm. um, for, the, for the business, of course, but right. also for the consumer that I'm serving right. with this brand? So it's, um, it's that really, that can absolutely come through in the portfolio and it should come through in the portfolio, right. but it also comes through in um, the, you know, the interview process and really getting people to talk about what drives them and what motivates them and, and how do, what is their process for getting to that creative solution. Mm-hmm. That's where some, a lot of that comes through. Yeah, I think going back to what you said about portfolios, I think, especially for creative, because now I think a lot of people, like outside of just creative, you know, are not required, but it's more common to see like strategy portfolios and, you know, portfolios mm-hmm. for account managers and stuff like that. And I always tell people who are um, <clears throat> creating strategy portfolios or anything outside of creative, I always tell them like, you need to kind of pull back the curtain because strategy and account management happens. Like there are a lot of things that, ha- that you do and contribute to the project that might not be apparent just from looking at the final creative. And right. I think... A little bit of that applies, I think, to what you're, what I'm hearing from you to creative portfolios as well. You can't just put the finished product and be like, ta-da! It's like mm-hmm. people want to know what your thought process was um, to get there, how you approached it, um, because that day-to-day, like that's really what you're going to be doing. Like the finished product is such a small part of like your actual job and role at an agency. Right, and I think the other thing too is, it's not just the portfolio of work from the classes that you've taken, but uh, what do you just do that you you just can't help yourself? You're out there creating, you're out there contributing in some way. We look for that that quality about somebody where they just they see a problem and they figure out a way to solve Mm -hmm. it and they've and they're very resourceful they find the right people to help make something happen and and they they didn't wait for somebody to give them the assignment or tell them what they wanted they they saw a need and and went out and and did something about it that's such good advice because not everyone goes to a school that has advertising classes that they can you know put Mm -hmm. in their portfolio or not everyone you know if you discover it later like has done a lot of internships and stuff like that so the ability to kind of like DIY your portfolio by creating your own opportunities for yourself and and even you know creating things like you said that don't necessarily aren't necessarily related to advertising or what you're going to do day to day but it's just something that you're super passionate about I think there's that's totally undervalued just like pursuing something on the Mm -hmm. side that you just like you said, can't can't help yourself. Right. I mean, you see how brands are involved now in culture. Mm-hmm. It's not always through an ad campaign. Right. So you know, how can you figure out other ways to solve solve cultural things that are happening with brands? Mm-hmm. Um, you don't need you don't need a degree to do that. You don't need a certain kind of schooling to do that. Right. Right. Yeah. So as a woman who sits at the table with 
high-level CMOs, you know, other executives with often like very strong voices. Mm-hmm. Do you have any tips for those who find it harder to be heard in these types of settings? The first thing I tell people is to ask smart questions. You don't need to have smart answers. You don't need to have um, great ideas every time you're you know, sitting around a table with other people. Mm-hmm. But if you can ask smart questions, it shows people how you think. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of value in that. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you you can learn about how somebody's thought process works and it actually gets people around the table to start thinking differently about what they're talking about as well. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing, asking smart questions. And then the second one is just having confidence when you speak, right? Um, having, you know, speaking with authority and having conviction. I like to tell people that if you really do believe in something, that comes through, and it comes through as fact, not just opinion. Mm. Even if it's, um, you know, so much of what we're doing, there's no black and white, there's no right and wrong. We're all figuring things out as we go, and we really value people who speak up and have a different point of view. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I think that that's true for most most people, especially as they see things shifting and moving and changing so quickly, is that, you know, everybody has a valuable opinion, um, but it does matter sort of how you how you share that and if you share it with confidence and you'd believe in it yourself then everybody else will too so i'm gonna get tactical for a second i'm gonna back up a little bit and talk about great questions like smart questions so what would be a good way for someone to come up with great questions i know this is kind of like a heady heady thought (laughs) but i think it's hard in the moment to to come up with something yeah. to say, especially if you're like a little bit nervous about saying mm-hmm. something. So do you have any tips on how to like start to formulate some of those questions? It's very important to be prepared. So if you're going into a meeting, learn as much as you can about everybody else in the room, mm-hmm. their backgrounds, what drives them personally, what drives their business, what you know chances are if they were interviewed, if they've been in the news, you can find out all the things that keep them up at night. Right. So, so really understanding so that that way you're not asking a question that you couldn't have already figured right, out yourself, right, right? right? Ideally, if you're gonna ask really smart questions, it's things that maybe other people hadn't even considered to mm-hmm, ask before. Mm-hmm. And then um, just thinking about what, you know, areas that that brand maybe has never played in before or things that that person, uh, if, if it's clear that there's a, a white space or yeah. an area, just start probing about that. Yeah. Or if they're speaking about something, there's nothing wrong to, nothing wrong with digging into what they just said. So right. tell me more about that, and right. why do you, why are you saying that? Yeah, you know, just simple follow up questions um, can really help uncover things that maybe right. the person speaking hadn't even considered. Right. I think why is super undervalued. Yeah. Just being like, oh, like why? why you know, that? yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And I, I think your point about coming at it from a different angle. Like I almost think it'd be like a great exercise for someone if they were going into a meeting with a client to like list out really quickly, like brain dump all the like really obvious questions that like probably someone else would would like ask or you know like you said that could be answered if you just research and then kind of like get down to the like it starts to get harder and harder to come up with questions, sure. but that's when you can like stretch and kind of come at it from a different angle or, or bring up something that, um, <clears throat> like again, you said, like they might've not even thought of themselves and then mm-hmm. kind of take like the, that little list, <laughs> the right. bottom of the list into the meeting and, and have your smart questions. Right. I think that's, that's really good advice. The goal is always empathy, right? 
right? How mm-hmm. do you put? How do you help somebody see the world from somebody else's point of view? I mean, everything that we do in this industry should be based around empathy and understanding yeah. our audiences and our consumers, and that's the way that you get brands to behave more like humans mm-hmm. is that they can relate to another person yeah. at that level that yeah. we call emotional intelligence, and and a lot of brands. Uh, you know, they do a good job of, of telling a great story that's interesting and that's entertaining or that pulls you in, but um, that ongoing point of view and um, way to relate to somebody on a much deeper level, that's that's what we want for brands. And if we can behave more like that as industry people and marketers ourselves right. and, and have that empathy for, for different points of view, it goes a long way. I wanted to talk a little bit about the St. Louis advertising scene. <clears throat> Part of my trip here was I was determined to get to know it a little better and to help those just starting out really understand what it's like. I guess, how would you describe the St. Louis advertising scene? What would you want people just starting out to know about it? Sure. I compare it when I can think about the St. Louis scene versus some of the coastal markets. The biggest difference to me is culture and how people relate to one another and work collaboratively. Uh, I, f- I feel like a lot of the bigger agencies in the bigger markets, and I'm making generalizations here, sure. of course, they're not all like this, <laughs> uh, a lot of the value is placed on individual achievement. So talent recruitment is who are the people who have won awards, we want to recruit people who have that, that those sort of stats about them, yeah. and people go to agencies who are very award-winning, and they feel like they can do very famous work, right, and, and it's all, um, you know, very exciting, but it can also be very cutthroat, mm-hmm. and a lot of people, again, generalizing, tend to think about their own careers and how do I get ahead, mm-hmm. whereas here in St. Louis, uh, it's it's based more on culture matters more than anything that that's a priority I think for a lot of agencies here mm-hmm. do people love coming into work every day do they feel like they are contributing in a way that helps them grow as an individual but also is helping the people around them grow right. and so uh, you know here especially at New Honor Society people come here and they stay here not because of the client that they get to work on sure. or because they're winning all of these awards Although we do win some awards, mm-hmm. it's, that's not what's that's not the driving factor. That's mm-hmm. not what keeps people coming back. It's really those relationships, and in a culture where you really truly feel like you can be yourself and you're comfortable, mm-hmm. but also um, there's enough of that tension, that creative tension, that keeps you always on your toes. It's a nice balance. Yeah, I, I think that's great. And <clears throat> thinking about like what success in your career really means, I think that. Mm-hmm it's really important to consider when you're starting out because you do tend to, at least from the students that I've talked with, it is tempting to, and maybe natural to the way the industry has been set up and what we see in the trades and stuff like that to automatically think of awards or status or title or, uh, you know, the size of the agency or, you know, the star power of an agency as success as like markers of success in your career but there are so many other things whether it is you know the agency culture or work-life balance or um, 
<clears throat> being able to make, like you said, the internal experience for other people better just through your own participation in the agency, making the world a little bit better place through the type of uh, brands you work with and the way that you approach those brands. I think it's important no matter, you know, I don't want to like demonize anyone for wanting to like win an award or not you know, that's all. not what you're saying either. It's just, it's important. I think when you're, especially when you're starting your career to really think about what is that driver for you? Like, what are you trying to achieve in your career and what does success actually mean? Right. What actually matters. Um, and I think, uh, you know, here in the Midwest, I, I, I would, like everybody to really consider smaller agencies even if regardless of location yeah smaller agencies allow you to wear a lot of hats they allow you to have um, your voice in a lot of different meetings and initiatives and things that you might not have the opportunity to and, and really large agencies you tend to be sort of siloed into a very specific role mm-hmm. there's a lot of layers it's much harder to kind of get, have your have your voice be heard as we right. were talking about earlier. Yeah. And so smaller agencies are actually a great place to get your start as a as a stepping stone if nothing more. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you know that ultimately you want to be at one of the big agencies, it's still a great uh, it's still a great step to take to really understand the full business and yeah. uh, and not just start out in a very siloed role. Yeah, I tell people that too. I'm like the big agencies are really awesome and they're so inspirational, but they might not be the best place to start your career mm-hmm. as junior talent. It's so much easier to get lost right. in the shuffle and like you know, fall through the cracks versus a place where you know there's 30 people and like everyone knows where you are at any given point and like what you're doing, yeah. which I think is really powerful. Right. Speaking of uh, St. Louis community and you know uh, the ad scene here. Other than New Honor Society, are there any agencies that uh, junior talent or students should keep their eyes on? Here in St. Louis? Yes. I am always in awe. There's um, there's a couple of traditional agencies, but I'm going to talk about a a couple that aren't quite as traditional. Um, One of them is called No Coast. And this is an agency that does a lot of event marketing, experiential marketing, but mm-hmm. they also do a lot of original content. So they're, they're doing branded content, but also original content. Uh, so, you know, understanding how to tell stories and, and create kind of deeper meaning around brands in ways that aren't sort of the traditional advertising mm-hmm. avenues. So No Coast is one. Um, cool Fire is another one that... Uh, has a lot of opportunities that again aren't traditional advertising but they do a lot with technology they do a lot with um, production and content Mm -hmm. as well so you know as a young creative I encourage people to not just look at the ad agencies but what are other creative entities and creative agencies out there Mm -hmm. where you can still you know get your hands on some some different types of of storytelling and and brand building that's really good advice. So there's so many more options than I think people think when they start out. Or even in-house, you know? Mm-hmm. There's always those brands. I mean, now more than ever, agencies are competing with in-house yeah. entities. And those are great opportunities to really... I mean, of course, the trade-off there is that you're only thinking about one, one brand. brand. <laughs> yeah. But um, it's certainly, you know, another option mm-hmm. to consider. Mm-hmm. So we always end with the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Mm -hmm. My partner, Holly. I always 
remember this and I and I say it over and over again to other people when somebody tells you no or you can't do that or that's not going to work mm-hmm. that's just the first answer and you find another way and stay determined and uh, don't let anybody kind of tell you that something can't be done mm-hmm. I think resilience is one of those soft skills that like you if you don't naturally have it just like it has to be built and maybe it will be just like hammered into you like working in advertising naturally but the more that you can sort of develop resilience in yourself especially when you're starting out because there will be a lot of no's absolutely they say grit is more important uh precursor to to success than Mm. than grades than experience than anything on your resume it's that Mm. grit and grit can be can be learned and it can be honed like any skill. Yeah, so, I like to think about it as a muscle. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. you have to kind of like work out. And we just wrote a weekly email about about like how to like bounce back from rejection because it's like uh, intern application season right now, and I know people are <laughs> getting nose. It's very natural, sure. um, and it feels so singular and like personal in the it moment. Does. But it, I like to tell people that. <clears throat> When you start out, it it's easy to conflate who you are with your resume, your portfolio, the job you're trying to land. And understand, like, as we're forming, yes, that's a big part of who you are at that moment when you're graduating from college. But in the big scheme of things, it is still, like, what you do, not who you are. You know? It's right. very – it's a, a small piece of who you are. So being told no against, you know, an idea that you had or, or your resume, like – you can't let it drag your whole self down because it's not you. Right. I think especially in the creative field, when you're creative and you're creating something, it, there is a part of you, yeah. like it or not, that is, <laughs> that is that is in that creation, yeah. even if it's created for a brand. Right. And it is very hard not to take that personally. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, it's all about the right match. It's about the right fit. Mm-hmm. And everybody's not for everyone, and that's okay. Yeah. And you'll find, you'll find that right fit, and you'll look back and, and be so happy that everything worked out the way it did. Yeah. I think about that, too, like when I think about, because I've had plenty of no's from lots of different agencies throughout my career. Um, and you look, when you look back, it's like, oh, I can see how that was a step towards something that was like so amazing. And if that person hadn't told me no, I would yes. be in a completely different place. And so I know in the moment it feels like super hard and, and sometimes devastating to hear no from a place that you really had your heart set on. But um, well, and also learn from that and understand. Mm-hmm. Make sure you understand why it was a no. Yeah. Make sure you understand how you could, um, you know, evolve from that yeah. and uh, and learn from that. Otherwise. You know, I mean, every no is, is an opportunity to learn and right. grow. So uh, don't just take no and then walk away, but really understand <laughs> yeah. the why. Back yeah. to the why behind it and yeah. dig deeper um, yeah. because it will only help make you stronger, better creative. Oh, that's such a great place to end. Heidi, thank you so much for sitting down and taking the time. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. I think there were so many amazing nuggets within that, that people will take away. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Where can people keep up with you? I'm on LinkedIn, Heidi Singleton. And uh, you can also uh, see our work at newhonorsociety.com. And we're also on Instagram. Awesome. Well, I'll include all the links in the episode page so people can follow along. Thank you again. Thank you.
A big, big thank you to Heidi. I couldn't agree more about what she said about defining what success looks like in your career. There are so many ways to approach your time in advertising that don't necessarily involve big cities or awards. Just something to keep in mind as you approach your job and internship search for the summer. For anyone in the industry who's interested in contributing to We Are Next and providing advice and insight to our audience, I'm looking for guest writers for our weekly email. The podcast is so awesome and growing every day, but our weekly email is actually our largest and most engaged audience by far. And we look for people who come from all corners of the industry, whether you're early in your career, later in your career, from an agency that everyone's heard of versus no one has heard of. We're looking for all perspectives. So I'm going to include a link in the show notes to a page on the website that has more details about how to contribute as a guest writer. Advice is so much better shared. Leave us a review on iTunes or share the podcast with a friend. And while you're at it, sign up for our weekly email. It's a small dose of advice and insight delivered Mondays. I hope you have an amazing rest of your week. I'm off to go see a little bit more of Boulder and prepare for a couple podcast interviews here. I'm Natalie, and until next time... You got this.